That was a great day. Thank you for those of you who, um, who came out for that Thanksgiving Eve service and the service projects. A bunch of people came out, did some really great work for some very uh, needy causes. So thanks to those of you who participated and encourage you next time it comes around, do that. It was great. Good morning. My name is John Cavell. I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs Bible Church. And so as Caleb said in the video, I want to encourage you to be thinking about Christmas Eve and somebody that you can bring to Christmas Eve. In the seat backs that are in front of you, uh, there should be a bunch of these cards that you can grab. There's also cards along the wall, along the tables that are on the back walls, that we would invite you to take as many cards as you want to bring people. So take a bunch, bring a bunch, and we'll see you on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a fun day. A lot of good things are going to be going on. So love, joy, peace, and hope. That's what we're going to be looking at for the next four weeks. Um, uh, Caleb's out of town for a couple weeks, so I'm here this week. Next week, Matt will be here, and then Caleb will be back for the last two. Love, joy, peace, and hope. That's the series that we're doing. How many of you have one of those words displayed in your home? Love, joy, peace, and hope. Okay, well, you guys are a lot more festive than the earlier service, because they're like, ah, I don't know. My wife's name is Joy, so we've got joy all over the house. <laughs> but that's okay, because I love my wife. Okay, didn't laugh at that, good. <laughs> today we're talking about hope, and so my goal today is not necessarily to give you hope, but for you to become hopeless. Hopeless. Yeah, I know, that sounds really weird. Someone's already questioning. That's okay, well, hang with me. Because I want to talk about some things that we're going to give up hope on. And so the word hope can be a little slippery. Sometimes it's actually hard to define hope. So I reached out to that reservoir of knowledge we call Facebook. And I asked some of my Facebook friends, what does hope mean to you? Well, these are the responses I got, some of the responses. Waiting, knowing, standing firm, and longing for God's plan for me. Believing that his plan is always better than anything else, that gives me hope. I like that. Another person wrote, through Jesus, I have hope and a future. I like that one too. Another person just said two words, sure confidence. Mm, really good insight. And so like I said, my goal is not necessarily to, to give up hope in completion, but to give up hope on a couple of things. And the first thing that I want you to give up hope on is changing your past. I want you to give up hope on changing your past because you can't change the past. How many of you are thinking, duh? <laughs> okay, I didn't, you don't have to raise your hand, but thank you for participating. I appreciate that. How many of you are thinking, well, that was obvious? Okay, well, then let's try it again. I'm going to say the phrase, and then you're going to respond appropriately. We need to give up hope of changing our past because we can't change the past. Really? I mean, it's 11 o'clock already, guys. Come on. I mean, the 9, 9.30 service, they were pretty lazy, but it was 9.30. Okay, one more time. You've got to give up hope of changing the past because you can't change the past. Thank you. Oh, that was good. That was better than any of the 9.30 ones. That's obvious. It's obvious. We all know that. So why am I talking about it? Well, the thing is, if it's so obvious that we can't change the past... We can't change what has happened in the past. If it's so obvious, then why are some of us still carrying guilt for things that happened in the past? 
We can't change the past. If it's so obvious we can't change the past, why are some of us every day thinking almost obsessively about wishing we could go back in time and change something, change a decision, change an action, change a mistake? We know we can't change the past, but often we really live our lives as though somehow, maybe, we could somehow change what has happened in the past, something we've done, something that was done to us, but we can't. But that doesn't mean life is over. How many of you have ever, when you were in elementary school, played Foursquare? Okay, good. It must be an older crowd than the first service because they had no idea what I was talking about. In Foursquare, at least when I was growing up playing it, if you were serving and you kind of miffed your serve, you got a do-over. Anybody else get do-overs? Okay, yeah, you got a do-over. Now, wouldn't it be cool if you actually got do-overs in life? Wouldn't that be cool? You could just be going along and you go, oh, I messed up, do-over. You're talking to somebody, and then you say that thing that you wish you wouldn't have said, the thing that makes you always go, why did I say that? Why do I always say stupid things like that? You know, if you could just go, oh, do over. I didn't mean to say that. I shouldn't have said that. You know. Oh, I didn't really want to do something so stupid that it ruins my entire life. Do over? But we don't get any do overs. You can't change the past. All right. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> There's a group of people in the Bible called the Corinthians, the Corinthian church. And, and if anybody was probably wishing for some do-overs, it'd be the Corinthians. They struggled. They had a lot of stuff in their past, and even though they had come to faith in Christ, they were still struggling. They were still wishing for some do-overs. And so the Apostle Paul wrote something to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, if that's all he had to say, then I'm sunk. (laughs) Probably most of us are sunk, are hopeless. And then he goes on right after that to list a whole bunch of sins and struggles and mess-ups and screw-ups that probably would look very familiar to some of us in this room today. And then he says something very, very powerful. In, the next, in verse 9, he says, And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed, meaning you were cleansed or forgiven from sin. But you were sanctified, meaning being changed from the inside out. You were justified, which means being declared not guilty by God. And all these things were done to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, all the labels that were pasted on them from their past, those weren't necessarily gone. If you study the book of 1 Corinthians, you find out these people were still struggling with a lot of those very things. But their identity had been changed. Their identity had been changed. The labels had been changed. So no longer were they labeled by God by the things that they had done in the past. The very things that showed them how much they needed Christ. He says, and such were some of you. And he gave them new name, new identity, new labels. Washed, 
forgiven, sanctified, changed from the inside out, justified, not guilty. New names, new labels. Because they had said yes to God's love and forgiveness in Christ. Changed everything. Changed everything about them. Over in 1 John is a similar thought. In 1 John chapter 2, it's really interesting. It says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so if you say, you know, I I really don't sin, God says, yeah, yeah, you do. Well, no, I mean, I don't really sin you know, like, like a sinner, and God says, yeah, you do. All of you, all of y'all sin, and me too. <laughs> all of us are sinners. If we say we have no sin, then we're totally missing it. But, <laughs> but, he says in the next verse, if we confess our sins, meaning, it doesn't mean just admitting it, it means agreeing with God, confessing our sins, calling it what it is, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of the unrighteousness. Did I read that wrong? Oh, all, all. And somebody said, well, but does that word all really mean, I mean, in the original language, what does the word all really mean? Guess what? You know what it means? All. All means all. And that's all all means. <laughs> So if we agree with God that our sin is sin, that is what he says it is, he says, I'll forgive you for all of it. Past, present, future, all, all of it. He'll change the identity, change your label. Because you can't change the past. You may, this may occur again, okay? <laughs> I believe in you. Maybe I shouldn't, but <laughs> I have hope, as misguided as it apparently is. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right. We can't change our past, but God can change our identity from sinful to forgiven, from regretful to hopeful. God can change all of that. He can heal us from those past wounds that we're still carrying around. He can heal us from the victimizations of the past that we are allowing to victimize us over and over and over again. He can open our eyes to the deceptions that allow us to live under those clouds of guilt and victimization and free us from those things. But we have to give up the hope of changing the past and allow God to change how the past affects us today. Because you can't change the past. Okay, we're going we're gonna to quit while we're ahead, okay? <laughs> Go out on a high note. Yeah, okay, good, all right. Yeah, it's like when you get agreement around the table in the meeting, leave right then, right afterward. <laughs> all right, the next thing is give up hope of fixing someone else. Okay, I wasn't looking for that, but I'll take it, you know. <laughs> We need to give up hope of fixing someone else. Probably all of us can think of someone in our life who needs to be fixed. 
You could probably think of a few people in your life who need to be fixed. In fact, if you cannot think of anyone in your life who needs fixing, you're the one they're thinking about. <laughs> now, the thing is, as I'm saying this, I want to be careful. Don't be nodding too hard. Don't nudge the person next to you. Okay, And if you are somebody who was brought here today by somebody who thinks you need to be fixed, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm your buddy today. That's right. You see, we have to give up on the whole idea of fixing someone else. Because, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say, fix one another. There's a whole bunch of places where that phrase, one another, appears. And in fact, if you have an electronic Bible, you could do a search of one another in the New Testament, and you're going to get a long list of scriptures. I'm just going to give you a sample of what the Bible says, the one another, that we are supposed to be doing to one another. Be devoted to one another. Love one another. Do not judge one another. Build one another up. Accept one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, do not lie to one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, and encourage one another. And can I want to leave this up for a little while. You know what is not in that list? Fix one another. And in fact, this is just a sample of the one another's. These are repeated numerous times. So here's the challenge that I want to give you. Today is December 2nd, so we're just two days in. For the rest of this month, I want to challenge you, when you think about that person you need to fix, or that, I'll say, that needs fixing and probably is not going to be fixed as well by anyone else as they would be by you, because you know what they need, when you're thinking about that, maybe even praying for that person and saying, God, they need fixing, and please give me the opportunity to fix them, because I have the gift of fixing very similar to the gift of judgment. <laughs> when that is coming to mind, I want to challenge you for this month. Instead of trying to fix them, do these. Do these. And then I would say, after you have mastered how to do these for that person, then pray about whether God now wants you to fix them might change your perspective a bit. The Bible never says, fix one another. Of all the one another's in Scripture, fix one another ain't one of them. And someone could say, well, the Bible doesn't say do not fix one another. <laughs> That's true. But it does say all these other things to do for one another. So I would say start here, get this down, master this. Then tell God you want to add one more thing to the list <laughs> and see how that feels, see how that works out, because I'm thinking not. So you got to give up hope of changing the past. Give up hope of trying to fix someone else. The next thing is you got to give up hope of being spiritually done, of being sp <laughs> All right, go ahead. We'll, we'll take that. <laughs> Give up hope of being spiritually done. A number of times somebody has said, oh, you know, is there a finish line to this? 
Is there somewhere where I'm going to come where I have sort of arrived spiritually, like I graduate and I'm done having to work so hard, and it's like, oh, man, that sounds really great, doesn't it? Uh Uh-uh, no, it's not. Well, there is a point. There is a point where you will be spiritually done with this life. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, and I'm sure of this, this is the Apostle Paul writing, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion or maturity or fulfillment at the day of Jesus Christ. So from the moment you say yes to God's love and forgiveness through Christ, he comes into your life, his spirit starts living in your heart, he becomes changing you from the inside out, and that process continues day after day after day until you're done. And here's how you'll know you're done. You'll take your last breath of oxygen, and then you'll be right in front of Jesus. That's when you're done. (laughs) You see, the goal here is not to get done. The goal is not to arrive. It's to experience that being changed and grown from the inside out for now, for all of your days in this life. For all of your days in this life. And I remember when I started in the faith, I was a young adult, and I didn't have, I I was started from zero, clean slate. I literally did not even know Easter was about Jesus, okay? So I was, boom, blank slate, no knowledge, no experience whatsoever. And I remember thinking that, man, this this is really tough. I would say, I'm not the type of person that continually tries to do things at which I'm not very good. This is one thing. This is the only thing, really, that I've ever put any effort into doing that I just felt like I wasn't very good at. And so I would read scriptures, like in 1 John chapter 2, that at first discouraged me. 1 John chapter 2 says this, Whoever says, I know him, meaning Christ, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God, truly the love of God is perfected. And so I thought, I'm not great at keeping God's commandments. I'm not very good at doing what God wants me to do. Every now and then I do, but I feel like most of the time I miss it completely. I thought, so am I a liar? Is the truth not in me? But then I was able to study that and find out that that word keep here and there doesn't mean obey. doesn't mean obey perfectly. It's a word that's tereo in Greek, and what it means is to watch, very much the way a guard would watch a prisoner. It means to keep your eye on something. In some literature, it's even used to, to take aim at something. So it would be like if I had a dartboard. And if I want to hit the bullseye of the dartboard, where do I need to be watching? Exactly, not a trick question. Yeah, I need to keep my eye on the target, on the bullseye. So if I want to keep God's word, if I want to experience God's word, guess what I need to, where I need to keep my eye? On God's word. Now, let's say I have, I'm looking right, I'm going to, do, I'm going to break a cardinal rule of public speaking right now. Okay, I'm going to turn my back to the room. I'm not supposed to do that, and I am confident, or I'm hopeful, that when I do turn around, y'all will still be here. (laughs) 
So, so if I'm watching the bullseye and I'm throwing my dart at the bullseye, I missed. I'm going to try again. Do over. <laughs> And I was watching the bullseye, but I missed. I'm not a dartist. (laughs) But here's the thing. Let's say I'm not really looking at it. And I'm just kind of going, well, yeah, I mean, I know God's word's over there. I know my bullseye's over there as a target. And and every now and then, you know, I just, yeah, take a shot. It doesn't even come close. And so here's the thing that I'm convinced that this passage is saying to us, is that God is far more concerned about where your target is and that your eye is on your target than he is about necessarily where your dart lands on the board. Because, you know, if I keep throwing darts and I keep watching that bullseye, I'm probably going to start getting closer and closer to it. (laughs) Maybe every now and then I'll even hit it but I gotta keep my eye on it. If I'm never even looking at it, if I'm not paying attention to it, if I'm not making any effort at all, well then I'm never even gonna get on the board at all. God cares more about what you're aiming at than where your dart lands. Okay. One more hope to give up. One more hope to give up, and that is You need to give up hope of being good enough for heaven. You need to give up hope of being good enough for heaven. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Caleb was talking about a story where Jesus is hanging on the cross, and on each side of him are two other criminals who have been guilty as charged. All three of them are going to die that day. All three of them are going to take their last breath of oxygen, and that will be the end of this human life for them. And so one of them says, as recorded in Luke chapter 23, says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so Jesus replied, well, what church do you go to? (laughs) What ministry are you involved in? Let's hear some spiritual resume here. I want to hear about some good works. How much money do you give? And what would be this guy's answer? Uh, no church, no works, no ministry, no giving. In fact, there was no opportunity at all at that point for him to do anything that would somehow impress God or anyone else for that matter. So Jesus says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So if our spiritual resume was the criteria for whether or not we could know for sure we're going to go to heaven, then this guy's hopeless. And you know what? So am I. I'm hopeless. If that is what's required. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Not according to whether or not I deserve it. 
not according to whether or not the degree to which I am more spiritual than people that I know or that I'm a good person, not according to any of that, but according to, that's the key phrase right there, this whole thing pivots right there, according to the riches of his grace. So how rich is God's grace? Infinite. (laughs) It is infinite. God's grace is bigger than your worst sin. God's grace is bigger than the number of times you've sinned. God's grace is bigger than those days when you feel like just giving up, folding your hand, and walking away. God's grace is infinite and rich. And he saves us, forgives us, based on his grace, not based on our ability to deserve it or the degree to which we think we deserve it or want to. It's not any of that. In fact, continuing in Ephesians into chapter 2, if you are a Bible student, this is probably a familiar verse to you. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. So what I want to do is I want to highlight every word in that verse that refers to the way that we are saved. <laughs> Look at that. It's like half the verse. Grace, faith, not your own doing, gift, not a result of works. Are we getting the point here? <laughs> Give up hope of being good enough for heaven. I've often asked people, If today was your last day, if you died today, and you're standing in front of God, and he says, well, what now? What would you say? And you know what I often hear? I hope I'll go to heaven. I'd like to think I would go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. Now, with that thing that I'm a pretty good person or I'm a good person, really what we're saying is I'm a good person compared to most of the people I know. (laughs) And so if you struggle to feel like you're a good person and you want to feel better about yourself, you need to downgrade the quality of friends. And you need to hang around worse people so that you will then feel so much better about yourself by comparison. It's not going to get you into heaven But, you know, if that's a struggle, that might be something you want to do. But, you know, all those answers fall short because what if heaven is just not available because you deserve it? What if that's just not an option on the table? What if God said, okay, well, maybe compared to most of the people you know because you hang out with a bunch of losers, then maybe you would deserve it compared to them. It doesn't matter. It's not available for that reason. It's only available because of this. It's available by saying yes to God's love and forgiveness and grace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, not because we're good enough, not because it's owed to us. It's just not available any other way. So four things. And I'm challenging you to give up hope in. Give up hope of changing your past because you can't change the past. 
one too many, you know? You always kind of get that last one in, you think you're gonna close it, no, it falls short. Give up hope of fixing someone else. <laughs> Sometimes you make a joke and you don't even realize it. <laughs> Give up hope of being spiritually done. Give up hope of being good enough for heaven. But I don't want to just leave you hopeless. In fact, the last thing I want to leave you with is don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Because out of all the things that hope in Christ offers us, two that I want to leave you with today. The first one is that hope in Christ gives us spiritual confidence. Gives us spiritual confidence. In Psalm 71, it says that, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. Now, it doesn't mean confidence in myself. It doesn't mean confidence in my ability to be spiritual. It doesn't mean confidence in my ability to impress God or to deserve heaven. My confidence is in God, in his ability to forgive me, to save me, to change me from the inside out, and give me the confidence and the security and the promise that if I died today, I'd be with him in heaven forever. The second thing is that hope in Christ is what gives us the endurance we need to keep going. Hope in Christ gives us endurance. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, those who hope in the Lord, some translations say wait in the Lord, wait on the Lord, but hope in the Lord is a really good way to put it. Those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Because, you know, sometimes we get weary. We get tired. We wonder, is it all worth it? Is this gonna, am I going to be okay with God? And it's the hope in Christ that gives us that endurance. It gives us that confidence in God that his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness are infinite. And that as long as we trust those things and say yes to those things, you can have confidence. You can have the endurance to get through another day, to keep going, even on your worst day, to keep going. And so this week, I want, don't lose hope. Experience the endurance and the confidence that hope in Christ offers you. In a second, I'm gonna pray. And one of the things I'm gonna do while I pray is I'm gonna pray a prayer that's very similar to a prayer that I prayed way back when I first said yes to God. And then a few times after that, when I was really weak and struggling and thought maybe I didn't say yes to God, but I wanted to be sure. And so it could be, as you're sitting here today, you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure if you ever really said yes to God's love in Christ. You're, you're not sure if you really did receive God's forgiveness in Christ. And if, you're, and if there's any unsure feeling at all, maybe today's your day. Maybe even just so that you can look back and say, look, if I never did before on December 2nd, 2018, I know for sure I said yes to God. So I'm going to pray for all of us, and then I'm going to pray that prayer. Let's pray together. 